Hello and welcome to the What Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Greg Fote. So, precision fingers to the keys and it's time for Jazz Talk. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to our third instalment of Series 7 of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. As always, if you like what you hear, do let a friend know and make sure you subscribe. It shakes my very soul to think you might miss out on one of our episodes. You can visit our lovely website at watfordjazzjunction.com whenever you like and to book tickets to see our gigs here in friendly Watford, including the Tony Kofi Quintet and their enthralling Cannibal Adderley show on the 12th of February 2022 next year. Uh, and this is officially your last chance to grab tickets for the 30th of October and a fabulous jazz show featuring uh, the music of Dudley Moore with the Chrisingham Quartet. Now to business. Today, I am joined by a piano player, composer, producer and general musical governor, a fearless writer of new music and blender of styles, a scaper of sound so big and so enthralling you might just get lost in his musical labyrinth. A conceptualist, an able keyboardist, and a longtime UK jazz hero, it can only be Greg Fote. Greg, hello, how are you? Oh, hi, Chris. Yeah, great. Well, wow, what an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hear you have company at your end. Are you, are yes. you with child? I'm with my son, Leo, who's currently uh, trying to make as much noise as possible in the background. Oh, I love it. He's uh, 11 months, so uh, I've, you know, he's excused. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And he's officially our youngest ever guest. <laughs> so I can tell you're at home. Uh, but where, where is home? Where are you speaking to us from? Um, I, I'm at my, my partner's place. Uh, she lives in Abbots Langley, so uh, not far from, from Watford. Ah, absolutely. The mighty South Hertfordshire yeah. Massive. So what's your backstory? If you take us back in time a bit, you, am I right in saying you were born on the Isle of Wight? And that's sort of where... Uh, I wasn't born on the Isle of Wight. I, ah. I ended up moving down there. I was born in, in Chertsey. Uh, I grew up in Woking and then moved to the Isle of Wight when I was 12. My parents decided to, we were going to live a, a different lifestyle rather than the sort of living in Woking and Surrey. That was the 80s. And then come 1990, we moved to uh, the Isle of Wight. And I spent, yeah, well, it, it's become home, basically. Of course. And what's yeah. the what's the jazz scene like on the Isle of Wight? Um, I know it's very little of, of, of the island. Uh, I was actually talking to Alan Barnes about it last oh, night yeah. because where I learned to play was like a, a little mecca for jazz musicians in Ventnor. It was a place called the Ventnor Towers Hotel. And yeah. I and now, you know, I've come full circle. I have a, my flat is literally across the street from there. In the 90s, I used to go there as a teenager and sit in with the trios with uh, Jack Janssen and his trio. And, and, and I learned to play like a standard a week. Yeah. And they would have visiting uh, British jazz artists coming down, I don't know, every few months to play yeah that's how i learned really and there was a lot of live music going on on the isle of wight back then you know every pub yeah. had a band and that unfortunately all came to sort of an end when uh, the two in the bar rule came in where suddenly you had to pay for prs licensing to put on live music oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. previous previous to that there was just live music everywhere and it kind of that sort of killed it basically yeah such a shame hey so you were learning, you learnt your craft on the job, so to speak. You were in at the deep end. Yeah, yeah. you know, my teenage years, that was basically what I did. I found that I wanted to progress a bit more. So I went off to uh, Chichester College and studied jazz there with um, Adrian Kendon, who was Brighton-based at the time, playing with Bobby Wellins and Spike Wells and Pete Jacobson. And then from Chichester, I did a, a year there, and then I got to Middlesex University in 97, 
Yeah. And studied three years there, graduated in 2000. And and the rest, as they say, is history, because we all know your output since then. Yeah. So with that in mind, you've obviously pulled together some pretty amazing musicians over the years. But really recently, that's included uh, Binker and Moses Boyd. What What's your yeah. sort of goal when you're convening musicians? Do you start off with the sound in mind? Or do you seek the musicians and then see what happens? What's your sort of approach? So uh, It's a mix of things, really. I, I try to make each album different. I don't yeah. want to repeat myself. I also, I like to, I'm um, a record collector, I have been since I was the age of 10, and I like right. to imagine what record I would like in my collection. You know, what would excite me if I found it in a record shop that I would then buy and listen to. Yeah. Um, that's been basically the goal. For the first five years, it was the Greg Folk Group. We did five albums. And then I went to America and I came back after being out there about a year and I wanted to do something different. So I teamed up with my friend who's a, who's in the band, The Bees, Warren Hampshire. Right. And so he had a, a much more of a folk kind of aesthetic and minimalist approach to the music, which I, I've adopted sort of uh, a lot more, you know, because yeah, he's yeah, quite yeah. a big influence on me musically. And it was it was nice to get away from being a chops sort of player, playing technically and lots of simp- simplifying it a lot more and, and realising that I didn't have to show off or showboat, you know, all the time. You can play a, less is more, you know, it's, the, it's that sort of aesthetic. And so Warren and I have done, I think, four albums together, We've got a fifth one coming out uh, later this year. And then I just decided I was going to do some solo albums and rather than rely on having a fixed group, just mix up. And it started with The Mage, really. Yeah. I, I just That was recorded, I think, in 2017. And I decided I wanted to record as many musicians that I could. I just thought, right, just throw everything in, in, yeah, the, yeah. in and see what happens. And I reached out to Ray Russell I reached out to Duncan Lamont, uh, yeah. Art Thiemann, uh, Gabriel Garrick. Plus, I still had my existing band members, such as you know Rob Mack and Trevor Walker and Philip Shiel. But then I thought, right, well, I don't work with my old drummer anymore. So I, I worked with Moses, so I booked him on on that session. And yeah. uh, Malcolm Casso came down, and Clark Tracy. You know, these are I had a bigger pool of musicians to choose from so that's how that happened and it ended up being kind of billed as sort of the british jazz from you know the generations you know it's like the older generations with the younger generations yeah. um and it worked out pretty good and i sort of stuck with that since so yeah that's basically it really <laughs> yeah no that makes loads of sense i mean th- thinking about it is there anyone that you would have liked to have worked with um if you went back across the last hundred years is there someone who or some ones who you'd say you know they would have definitely been in my groove or i'd have loved to have had their influence oh, well, on what I mean, they do. any number of musicians you yeah. know you know I, I often think i'd love to go back to sort of like you know ennio morricone's recording sessions in the 60s and see you know how, how that worked out or or working with you know daniel humare and Henri texier you know right, okay. and phil woods or you know some of the all those classic recordings you know the 60s 70s stuff basically been the focus for me yeah so i've seen then this makes me think about it your your music described as cinematic uh but also as acid folk lush uh my favorite i think that i read uh was groove merchant channeling who knew um <laughs> but i think you know i think you can add in and i think other people do as well like pastoral rhapsodic but i'm gonna go as well just good old foot tapping but your mm. tastes in music across all of it represent such a a wide range of sounds is it all down to that seminal record collection that you began when you were 10 or have you had other people in your life who just said you know keep the canvas broad and you know never never get yourself too defined by a genre no i think i just i was a bit of a square peg in a round hole and i never really was accepted by the kind of the jazz mainstream you know i growing up on the isle of wight i was playing standards and 
and learned how to swing. And then when I was in London, suddenly it was a quite a, a different scene. It was quite sort of clicky, you know. So I yeah. didn't really fit in with a lot of sort of like the, the hard bop guys, you know, the kind of, sort of the bebop fundamentalists, as I call them, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can play a bit of that stuff, but I'm not really a, a, a proficient bebop player. So I just sort of just followed my own nose. And I mean, the jazz band connection, when I was sort of 24, 25, I was, I was working for jazz band Gerald in Camden Market selling secondhand jazz records. And that really opened up my eyes because, you know, coming from Middlesex, there was a real kind of, it was, it was strange. There was a lot of people with quite tunnel vision about music that was supposed to be jazz. And you, you had people that were like, oh, you know, jazz ended, you know, 1969 and jazz was bebop and that was it, you know, or then you had some people that were into the ECM thing. And I, I wasn't interested in any of that stuff. I was more interested in Blue Note and Prestige Records and a lot of a lot of you know R and B crossover stuff. So and then I discovered the British jazz that was doing that in the sixties. You know, like uh, sort of down another road, Graham Collier, uh, Flare Up, Harry Beckett. You know, sort of those sort of records and the Mike Westbrook records. And then suddenly my uh, Bob Downs actually Deep Down Heavy. That was another record that was really amazing because you know he's a he's a good jazz player, but he played with John Barry Seven. And then he, he sort of crossed over into folk and rock and roll and all yeah, sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I realised that jazz wasn't, for me then, a, a genre. It was more of a philosophy to learn your instrument and then be able to play anything and be able to improvise in any kind of style. So I guess that's informed my, my record collection as well as my musicality since then. Yeah, of course. That's very interesting. So you mentioned uh, Duncan Lamont a few minutes ago, and I know he's been an influence, uh, including his... Uh, is it Best of the Bossa Nova's great album? Um, yeah. We had Esther Bennett on a series or two ago, good Lord. Um, and she's a, she was a good friend of Duncan's as well. And she'd been putting together a, a tribute album and working with him, sadly, before he died. My, my sort of question to you is, why, why do you think he remains relatively unknown or unsung across the latter part of his life? Because he's so influential. And at the same time, he doesn't crop, crop up as often as, as one would think well the simple answer to that is pr isn't it i you know right. I, mean, I think you can see you can see a lot of the kind of the young the younger generation they've got a big pr machine pushing their music and, uh, yeah. and their profiles um whereas was duncan was just he was just a grafter you know he was in the studio he was recording he didn't really care about his profile and you know since the days long before social media and all that stuff he made enough money from making library music and doing sessions like the mr ben soundtrack and yeah, yeah. Uh, the best of the bossa novas and working with like roger webb and just one of those old school players that was all about the music you know and completely egoless when i when i met him he was the most lovely lovely man and one of the greatest saxophone players i've ever ever worked with he was such an incredible player mm-hmm. so i think he, he he wasn't bothered by any of that stuff and i think that's the best way to be really you know if you can make a living without having to play that silly promotional game you know now now you say silly greg have i got (laughs) have i got the interjection for you and it's time for chris's weekly quiz uh and i called it (laughs) folks notes on jazz life and general infusion are you ready for your five brain teasing questions i am ready all right question one rhapsody in blue or bohemian rhapsody rhapsody in blue Hmm. question two a walk in the park or a walk in the dark? A walk in the park. A pint of lager, a tumbler of scotch, or, as a new parent, a nice herbal cuppa? Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be right this uh, minute. Can I have all three? <laughs> yeah, done. You earned them already. Nice. Okay, question four, an ultimate question. Piano or keyboards or synths or something else? 
you know what? You can't beat a really good piano, no matter how expensive synthesizer. If I was to be given a hundred grand Steinway, that would be it for me. I would never play anything else. Oh, and wow. I, I had the, the privilege of uh, one of my residencies in a hotel in Miami called the Faina. They had that, literally had a hundred grand Steinway that I used to play every night for about nine months. And wow, just that, just that, that is one of the most incredible instruments I've ever played. So yeah, I mean, I have an extensive synthesizer collection. I have a Fender Rhodes. I've got a Hammond organ. This is my parents' shed. That needs rescuing. Uh, I've got uh, Hona pianets. I've got Hona electro pianos. I've got about a dozen different synthesizers from Korgs to Rolands to Moogs. But yeah, give me a give me a, a Steinway or <laughs> well, done. It's within the gift of the Watford yeah. Jazz Junction. Uh, you have a Steinway <laughs> oh, brand. It's official. Okay. In question five, final question, and I'm gonna. I'm, don't worry. I'm keeping your points tally. Uh, Greg Folt, you are stuck on a boat. And for a friend, there's a goat. But would you believe there's also music available from Blue Note on said boat? Uh, but you can only choose one musician's back catalogue. Will you choose Thelonious Monk, McCoy Tyner, Herbie Hancock, or Secret Option D that Chris didn't think about? Oh, there's a Secret Option D. Well, I don't know. It can be your own choice of another Blue Note musician. Ah. Oh. That's the generosity with which I, I share. Because if, if there wasn't for Secret Option D, I'd go McCoy. Done. But, um, yeah. <laughs> we'll take McCoy, if you're happy with that. Yeah, uh, yeah wonderful. I, I'm with you on that. All right, tally up. So if, if I did give you five out of five, that would obviously give you the 100%, but that seems churlish. I'm going to deduct five points because we did go off on a ramble on the Steinway Grand Piano thing. But I will, yeah. I, will, I will give you a hearty 95 out of 100, which, if you think about it, does put you top of the Greg Folk Quiz leaderboard. So you should be pretty proud of yourself. <laughs> How many other people can be taking this quiz? Well, it, that's not the question right now, Greg. Just grab, grab the victory. <laughs> right. All right. Okay. <laughs> so now my set question. When all is said and done, when thinking about the entirety of jazz history to date, have we peaked or is the best yet to come? Discuss. Mm. Oh, have we peaked? Well, it depends on what you place importance on, I suppose, in terms of the genre. Mm. I think it's really, you know, it's exciting now that there's a younger generation that are rediscovering it or making the genre their own. Uh, I think it's important for it to grow and evolve. Otherwise, it becomes a museum piece. You know, there's 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 too many people that want jazz to be a certain way that, that sounds like music from the past. But uh, obviously, I love old records, and my my personal preferences are, you know, for sort of the British jazz scene and sort of like the late '60s, early '70s. You know, there's some new interesting stuff coming out now. And also, who knows what these musicians will do in 10, 20 years' time when they keep progressing. I think that's more interesting because we seem to have this fascination in, in, in Western culture for youth. And, and this current jazz scene is more about sort of, oh, they're so young and dynamic. But OK, but this is interesting. Some of the musicians that, that are coming up, but what are they going to be doing of interest in 20 years' time? That, that's very wise um, and interesting. And I think I will push you then to the best is yet to come, but more along a space of, hey, stuff evolves. Don't get too fixated on the past, maybe. No. Right, top three album time. Which albums do you go back to again and again? Gyroscope, the Gordon Beck Trio. Nice. Yeah. Um, okay, that's locked in. I also go back to Rem Remember of Love, Masura Imada. Okay, this I don't know. 
Japanese um, piano trio album. And then, okay, you've only got space for one more. Oh my gosh, this is too exciting. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm just going to say Flare Up by um, Harry Beckett. And actually, because saying that, I need to go back and listen to that again. I haven't listened to it for ages. Nice. So that's a nice little trio. We've got a gyroscope from the Gordon Beck trio, Remember of Love by Masaru Imada, and Flare Up from Harry Beckett. Nice work. Yep. All right, you're, you're, on the, you're on the sort of final furlong. It's time to sort out our house band, though. Some say that it's the most eclectic fantasy band in podcast show business. Others say other things. Anyway, right now, we have got Carla Blay on the piano, Christian McBride on the bass. We have got Joe Templey on bass saxophone. We've got Paul Motion on the drums, John Hassel, the late John Hassel, on trumpet, and the very wonderful Norma Winston on vocals. Now, your task is to remove one musician, if you fancy, but most importantly, to bring us in a new player from any point in jazz history. Who shall Greg Folk be adding to our house band? I'm going to put Daniel Humer on drums. Nice. Okay, so we've kicked out Paul Motion. Oh, and let me be be official. Greg Folk has fired Paul Motion. (laughs) I don't know if I could do that in real life. (laughs) That's terrible. Oh, no, this is the way, man. This is also going to happen, right? No, wait, can I change that? Can I put instead of Christian McBride? Can I put Ron Matheson on bass? Oh, it's a it's a it's a it's a saving grace for Paul Motion. So, yeah. Christian McBride managed to last one week entirely, uh, and it's he's now been replaced by Ron Matheson, uh, which is a very yeah. nice swap. And I'm sure Christian will be Christian will be pretty cool with that. He seems such a nice chap, right? <laughs> So we're almost there. So we look moreover, thank you for being with us today. Um, I know you've had your hands full. Um, but what shows have you got coming up before Christmas? What albums can we look forward to? What what what? what? Uh, I've got a yeah, I've got a new album with Warren Hampshire, Hampshire and Folk, uh, and that's going to be called The Upturned Glass, and that's our tribute to uh, a day in the life in Ventnor on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, it, it features sort of pub sound effects and um, bird song, as well as sort of folk music and jazz and a bit of of pub rock Uh, yeah um and that's going to be out hopefully in the next few weeks we're playing the efg london jazz festival in november very good um i can't can't remember the exact date now but uh, yeah if you just google it it'll come up don't worry kids Um, i'm sure add it to the notes and plus bonus points for greg for calling it officially the efg london jazz festival most uh, most you know the london jazz week thing and i'm like all right (laughs) <laughs> there you are. I'll make sure EFG send you a special bursary and maybe that Steinway will be in grasp. Oh, would that be nice? <laughs> so listen, if you've liked what you've listened to, don't forget to subscribe. Um, if you want to know more about the Watford Jazz Junction, check out our website at watfordjazzjunction.com or follow us on all of our various social media. Um, and of course, you can email us at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com, but only to say very, very nice things. So next time we're passing the metronome from one fabulous pianist to another as we're in conversation with Elliot Galvin. And news about our very exciting WJJ podcasting milestone because we will be turning one year old. So until the next time, it's goodbye, lovely listener. It's goodbye, the fabulous Greg. Bye-bye. And stay safe, take care. Bye. Bye.